Hi, lifers. It's great to connect with you again. Thanks again for joining me today. It's exciting to be back this week to continue this conversation that we started last week about how to be in two places at once. Many of you have found this subject extremely intriguing. Um, Some are waiting with bated breath for this second part. How can this look if it's different and it's good for us? So last week we talked about the first type of being in two places at once. We talked about how certain mental conditions like PTSD and anxiety can cause this phenomenon. And we also talked about how cell phones, tech devices, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, social media, blah, blah, blah. We talked about how all that can also be ways of being in two places at once also. So all these ways from last week, part one, were ways of being in two places at once that do not serve us. That was part one, right? This week, in part two, let's talk about the other type. The ways we find ourselves being in two places at once in ways that do serve us. So buckle up, take a breath. And episode eight, here we go. How to be in two places at once, part two. So about six or seven years ago, a friend of mine told me about a book. It was a, it's a short story called Smith of Wooden Major. And this is one of those very, very lesser known lost stories written by J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, he's the author of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Maybe you've heard of him. At the time when my friend shared this with me, uh, it was because it reminded him of the ways in which I would describe sort of feeling like sometimes I was walking in this space where I had one foot in one world, so to speak, and um, another foot in another world. So sometimes that was literally different kinds of communities, and sometimes that was more transcendent of the physical world, um, just sort of emotional states or spiritual experiences type thing. So that's what, um, my friend reminded him of that. And so he gave me this story. So I don't want to spoil the story for you. And please let me recommend to you that you should read this story. It's a really good story, but here's the basic gist of the story because it's important for where we're going. So the story takes place in a town called Wooten Major, or Wooten Major, however you... I say Wooten because the guy who read the audiobook (laughs) that I listened to said it that way, so that's kind of how I say it. Um, There's a special festival in this town that happens occasionally at certain periods of time. And for this special festival, there is a great cake. So this one year for the festival, a special chef makes an appearance. I won't tell you why this person's special. You'll have to find out by reading the book. But um, this special chef shows up and makes the cake, this great cake for the festival that year. And in doing that, he bakes a sort of magical star, silver star, into the cake. 
A young boy whose name is Smith ingests the magical star. He eats it in his piece of cake. It doesn't cut him or anything. Don't worry. It's not that kind of thing. Um, But it lays dormant in him for a time. And the story, the way the story describes this is it was tucked away in some place where it could not be felt for that was what it was intended to do. There it waited for a long time until its day came. So it waits, it stays sort of silent in him. And then on the boy's 10th birthday, he wakes up and he is different. He has this sort of different awareness, sort of different consciousness that wasn't present before. So he notices things that he had never noticed before. He appreciates and attends to beautiful things in the world around him like never before. And he begins to have this light in his eyes. And um, it talks about him having this sort of song quality to his voice and that he sings while he's working in his blacksmith shop um, as a child. And then, you know, you just see this progression, this sort of coming into fullness of change for him. Time goes by um, when, you know, he becomes an adult, when he makes things in his blacksmith shop, he makes them for his enjoyment and for others' enjoyment. He doesn't just make utilitarian things anymore. He doesn't just make things usable. He creates beautiful things so that he and others can delight in them. Um, There's a lot of detail in the book about this. It's really beautiful people would stop and look at what he would made. And it talks about how they would sit there with wonder and appreciation of the things that he made. And people would come to his shop just to watch him work because it was so, you know, different the way he made things. And also they would come to listen to him sing. He was known for this. So the story describes this as sort of him being acquainted with another land And that's where the star came from that was baked into that cake when he was nine years old. And this other land is called Fairy. Okay. So far, so good. All right. So many years have passed and he, as an adult, takes these short trips to the land of Fairy. It's an actual land. And I won't spoil what those adventures are like, but um, you should, again, this is a short story, so reading it is easy. Um, You should check it out. Um, It's on Kindle. It's on audiobook and regular book. But anyway, he he would go go on these trips to Ferry, but he would always return to his normal world, his normal life. But this silver star that he had ingested years ago... Um, he now wore it on his brow. So it was sort of like this outward signature of his partial belonging to fairy, this other land. So while he was in fairy, he was called Starbrow, since he wore his star on his brow. So a time comes for him where a transition of, of sorts sort of need to take, needs to take place. He really resists this transition because although it's this product of his maturity and his growth and he his becoming like he's become this other person um he's been transformed by this this sort of experience that he's had 
he has these different set of needs now, but even though he understands that the change comes with a lot of grief and this sort of feeling of a loss of a home for him. And the queen of fairy, who he has this really cool relationship with, um, makes it really clear to him that it's time to go and it's necessary for him to not physically come back to fairy. So just after he and the queen discuss this, um, it is my absolute favorite moment in the story. So I'm going to read it to you here. This is what it says. So they've just had this interchanges back and forth. And here's what it says. Then he knelt and she stooped and laid her hand on his head and a great stillness came upon him. And he seemed to be both in the world and in fairy and also outside them and surveying them so that he was at once in bereavement and in ownership and in peace. When after a while the stillness passed, he raised his head and stood up. The dawn was in the sky and the stars were pale and the queen was gone. Far off, he heard the echo of a trumpet in the mountains. The high field where he stood was silent and empty, and he knew that his way now led back to bereavement. I got all the goosebumps there. Um, Now, sometimes when I read this to people, they want me to explain it explain to them what that means to me, why I love that so much, but I'm not going to do that. So it doesn't matter so much why I love it. What matters is how that part of the story meets you today. So let that part just sit and you can re-listen to it. That's the joy of a podcast. You can like rewind and go listen to old stuff. But what I want to do is I want to talk about what this might have to do with being in two places at once. So this first half of the passage that I read, it really says it all, right? It says, then he knelt and she stooped and laid her hand on his head and a great stillness came upon him and he seemed to be both in the world and in fairy and also outside them and surveying them sort of all at once. So that all at once he was in bereavement and in ownership and in peace. So it's this place where he's in these various states of being, right? In this story, Starbrow experiences the second type of being in two places at once. While externally, not much has changed. His circumstances are pretty much the same. His internals are transformed by this place. And... um Even his leaving it is transforming him. And his vision and his perception, his way of being, however you want to call that, it's completely reoriented by this sort of simultaneous dual reality, this living in both the world and in fairy for all these years. And he's living in two places at once, right? And he's really transformed by it. So this is a fantastic story, in my opinion, but I bet you're wondering, how does this play out in our lives? 
I think there's a few ways that we can look at this. The first one is this. Um, one name for it is sort of this experience of being in two places at once is living in tension. So some of you might already be familiar with this concept, but can you think of a time where you had to simultaneously hold two realities that felt impossibly dissimilar so much so that you assumed they could not possibly both be true at the same time? If you can think of a time like that, what did you do with that? I think our tendency or our reaction, our knee-jerk reaction to that is to run away from the tension. You know, so did you resign to let one thing drive out the other thing because they felt like they were in tension and they were in tension and that was really painful for you? Or can you think of a time where you embraced that tension and you sort of let them exist in the same space and you sort of sat in the stillness and even though that tension just like burned inside of you, you let it inform you and teach you. Ooh, that's hard stuff. Another example of this, I guess maybe different name for it, is growing pains, right? Have you ever heard anybody use that send- that phrase before? And I'm not talking about the 80s sitcom, even though that was really awesome. <laughs> um these seasons of life where we have these growing pains, um, some things are happening and there's some part of you that just sort of knows that the pain that you feel is this like necessary burn or like heat of that, that is produced when growth is happening. I think it's these moments where perhaps we release our grip on a certain desired outcome. And that's really, really hard. And that release is accompanied by bereavement and by ownership and by peace all at once, kind of like this story is telling us. These things that feel like they might not necessarily fit together, like this growing and the pain, they don't feel like they fit in the same space, but this is living in the tension of something. And this is a type of being in two places at once that serve us deeply, both who we are and who we're becoming. So what's another example of this? Um, there's this concept or practice that I want to share with you that I've been grappling with personally for about a month or so. Um, this practice of, it's a sort of, it's this practice of differentiating between our true needs and our wants or our desires. So this is no doubt a lifelong practice and it's full of probably like an infinite number of adjustments, you know, micro movements of life, but it's definitely a lifelong practice, I think. But one of the ways I'm currently processing this, it's not too different than the way Starbrow goes through it in this story, right? His needs change and he doesn't agree with it necessarily, but the queen of fairy which I didn't explain to you, but she explains sort of this, it's this time 
to move on to a new frontier. It's this time for him to be, he needs something different. He needs to not come, come back to fairy physically. And also other people need other things that involve him not being in fairy. And so his, but it's his love for where he's been that makes him reluctant to plunge into this new way of being. And it's one, what that means for him literally is he doesn't have full access to the land of fairy, like physical access. That passage, so that second half of the passage that I read, oh, it says it so well. It just talks, the dawn was in the sky and the stars were pale. So it's like this new dawn, right? That's so poetic. The dawn was in the sky and the stars were pale and the queen was gone. So it's like this transition has already started. The high field where he stood was silent and empty. And he knew that his way now led back to bereavement. So it might seem counterintuitive at first that outgrowing a need would be full of grief and bereavement, but it is, right? Like we can logically say, I know I don't need this anymore, but letting go of it is a whole other process and it is full of grief and it is full of bereavement and it's full of pain. So what used to be a need of yours that's no longer a need? Maybe it's become a want and maybe... It's no longer a need, but it feels like a need because it's so familiar, right? That happens a lot. Like we we become so familiar with things that they feel like they are a need, but really maybe if we're being truthful, um, it's just, it's a desire, it's a want, and it's not going to serve us in the same way as a true need anymore. This is the stuff that I often call mind Kung Fu. This is not easy stuff, people. Like, this is really hard stuff. It might seem easy. I assure you it is a whole other thing when you try to practice it. It is hard stuff. That's why I say this is this lifelong journey of, like, micro-adjustments. But, it's you know, again, it's like one of those simple but difficult things, like breathing on purpose, like we talked about last week. You know, it's like breathing with all of your attention focused on your breathing. Sounds simple, but super difficult, right? So um, here's an example I'm going to give you for a second. So the other day I asked, I was in a conversation with somebody that I care about very deeply. And um, I said to her, what's easier for you um, to beat yourself up? for the way things have gone in your life or in this situation or whatever, or to let yourself grieve. And she said to beat myself up and she kind of looked down sheepishly. And I said, so which one do you need right now? And she knew the answer. And of course my, my intention was not to shame her. And we talked about that, but, um, But then we talked about what she's afraid of and what stops her from allowing herself to need grief at this time in her life. And so most of it really just comes down to familiarity for a lot of us with this stuff, right? So the question becomes, am I rotting on the vine, so to speak? Am I sitting in a place that 
for lack of a better word, maybe I've outgrown. It's too small. It doesn't fit who I've become or who you've become. But it's really hard to let go of it. And maybe you're more afraid of grief. But is it time for a new need? So let me let you in on a little secret. I have done this. (laughs) I'm currently doing some of this. And it will probably always involve bereavement. So what do we do with that? We name it. We feel what we feel. That's just to say, like, we just pay attention to what we're feeling instead of judging what we're feeling or um, calling it something different. We just, like, feel the feelings, right? And we name them and we notice them and we don't run away from them. And it involves a lot of tears, a lot of crying, perhaps. Um, It also might require not moving too fast out of it. Like sometimes we, I think sometimes when we are in a state of bereavement or something, we convince ourselves that it's over before it is. Or we um, act happier than we are or something like that just because we're so tired of feeling so dead and heavy. But if we pay attention to it and we name it again and again, like each day, not to like focus all of our attention on grieving. um, That's not really what I'm saying at all. But it's more just I think the way to do good grief is to call it what it is and really name the feelings that we're having and paying such close attention to what's going on. Like today I'm noticing like, I don't want to let go of this thing because this is what it means to me. And then naming really specifically, like, this is what this has meant to me. My gosh, do I love it? Wow. Is this hard to let go of? I treasure this person or place or thing or whatever it is and then cry some more and then breathe and then talk to somebody about it um lather rinse repeat right (laughs) like grief is a lather rinse repeat cycle uh, of life of our for our hearts finally i'm not going to blow the ending of this story the smith of wooten major And again, please check it out because this is only half the story that I'm telling you and I'm not even doing a very good job of it. I'm giving you very basic details. But as the story continues, it becomes really clear that you can take Starbrow out of fairy, but you cannot take the fairy out of Starbrow. When a place or an experience or a person transforms us, makes us better, makes us become something it's woven into our very beings it's the thread of the tapestry that we are made up of and these transformative people places and things this is like what we are made of this is human development this is everything we're made up of is it the same when we're gone from those people or places or things no of course not it's not it's not the same Having this be part of our tapestry, it's not the same as being in the moment of those things or people. Hence, the appropriate level of grief. 
But can these people, places, and things be removed from us ever? No. They really can't. And it kind of makes it so that you're living your present life and your present self, but you're doing so with this integrated, interwoven thing. And voila, two places at once, right? It's like my whole history is wrapped up in my present and my present is wrapped up in my future because it's all this tapestry. (sighs) So here we are. A couple of practical ways to find ourselves in the good types of being in two places at once. One place I've found is in in a practice of contemplative prayer or centering prayer. Some of you know what this is. Some of you think you know what this is. Some of you have a different idea of what this is. But really what all that this, the very simplistic explanation for this is that it involves sitting still for a certain period of time and choosing like a one or two word prayer or a phrase that is true or that ground you, that centers you, that puts you in two places at once. It puts you at the sort of like in this realm of the divine and you link that phrase with your breath in the stillness. And you, this is an ancient practice and it, it's transformed my life personally. It's transformed my husband's life. It's transformed the life of a lot of my friends. It's the way we can stand firm in the middle of the eye of chaos and find this rooted life in the whirlwind. It's to ground in truth and linking it up with the breath of your body is really important. Another way that I personally find myself in this good kind of two places at once is of course on my yoga mat. (laughs) You knew I was going to say that though, right? Um, my yoga mat is like fairy for me. It's, it's where I do a lot of business in my life. Um, I do this kind of bereavement ownership piece process thing on my mat. And, um, a question that I've always had in my life is what is the body for? And so it brings my body into this situation of being in two places at once. And it really um, makes me both present, but also thoughtful about connection with the divine, with God. So yeah, these are just two little brief practical places where we might be able to find ways of being two places at once in good ways, right? invitation time. So I invite you to consider and chew on this for part two. What might this type of living in two places at once look like for you? I wonder how your life might be calling you into this space, how your life might be, you know, sometimes like last week, part one, we talked about how our mind, we let our mind go other places or like dissociate from the moment and disappear somewhere else, or it just happens without our allowing it. Um, in the case of PTSD or anxiety or whatever it is, you know, there's that kind. And then there's also this like allowing and almost practicing 
having your mind on other things. Like this is a concept that is very grounding. It's like no matter what your circumstances are, you're in this other place. It's like you're like you've transcended the circumstances. You've you've gotten past the pile of burning garbage because you're in two places at once. You might see the burning pile of garbage, uh, but you somehow you've transcended that or you've found a way to find the space of bereavement and ownership and peace in the midst of those circumstances. So I guess maybe this involves articulating for you, like, what is the burning garbage? What's the burning pile of garbage that you're in? that you find yourself in currently and how might your life be calling you to transcend that, that space, that reality, those circumstances. Um, and always, always, always comes down to this. Don't forget to consider what are you afraid of? Because your fears are probably what's stopping you and that's okay, but you don't have to stay there forever. So consider this, but don't just consider all of this. Talk to somebody about it. Find a trusted friend or talk to your counselor if you have one about this or share with a person in your life what you're thinking about all of this. Because remember, we don't just seek this expansion of ourselves and our awareness for its own sake. We don't seek an expansion of consciousness or conscious selves for its own sake, for the sake of expansion. We seek it so that we might grow and be transformed in that expansive space. It's like making room for more. So we don't just, sharing this with other people is going to help you grow into that space and be more transformed. My blessing for you who seek this kind of being in two places at once is this. May you, with the courage it requires, embark and continue on this very worthwhile journey of fully being and ever becoming, feeling all of the feelings, leaning in, crying, naming it. Go ahead and let yourself laugh. Um, memorialize things, say thank you to things and people and places, ground yourself in truth, breathe into the truth, grow, let yourself expand in the space that's being made. And keep doing your thing. Keep doing this stuff because you're really the only one who can do it for yourself. Love and honor you, to you, my friends, and I hope you take really good care of yourself this week, and I cannot wait to connect with you again next week, as always. Take very good care.
Places, places, it's in you. That's where.